the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. So it's almost like Christmas Eve right now. Tomorrow, I can't believe it still, the Toronto Raptors are playing their very first NBA Finals game against the reigning and defending NBA champions and the Golden State Warriors. Welcome to the special NBA Finals preview edition of the South and Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the overtime media crew. Toronto right now is bumping. There are cameras everywhere. There are reporters everywhere. You can barely walk on the floor at the Scotiabank Arena, but we're going to break it all down today in audio. Joining me tonight is fellow overtime media member, Mr. Ryan McNeil of NBA Overtime Podcast and the runner of Athletes Unfiltered. Ryan, thank you for joining me. And how you doing, man? Are you are you feeling the hype right now surrounding the Raptors? Adam, I am pumped. I remember being in high school when the Raptors were created their inaugural season. I had season tickets with buddies when they're 500 bucks in the Sky Dome, and you could barely see the players like little ants kind of playing basketball. <laughs> But I liked your Christmas analogy. The only problem is, I don't know about you, Adam, but I got to work all day tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to (laughs) be the slowest, most painful work day I've ever had. And then a nine o'clock tip. What's the NBA doing to us? They're killing me right now. You and me both. It's like, all right, if it's like an eight o'clock tip off time, I still have to grab a coffee after work just to make it to that. Now it's a nine o'clock tip off time. I promise you I'm going to have to get like two coffees or maybe like a special espresso shot or something in the coffee. But this is brutal, man. It's, It's definitely the West Coast thing. You have to sort of mitigate that on that end. But there are some 8 o'clock games sprinkled in there. I think Sunday's game is 8 o'clock. Sunday's 8 o'clock. I'm going to have, I call it a nap, but I will (laughs) have a workout after school. I will walk the dog. I will shower. And then I will set my alarm for 8 o'clock because I'm pretty sure I'm going to sleep for two, three hours, just like coma. And then I'll be good to go for 9 o'clock and tired on Friday. I mean... I understand. This is the the woes of having to face in, in uh, a West Coast team. But at the same time, you have to consider that probably on their end, I don't know that I would like to see a 6 o'clock tip-off. I kind of would rather just deal with the, the late tip-off. Obviously, that means we're probably going to have late nights, probably 11, 30, 12 o'clock if we're lucky, unless there's some overtime games. Um, but yeah, this is... It's still exciting. It doesn't take away from the excitement. It's totally worth it's it. It's amazing. Adam. It's it's look. I, this is what I want. Sleep deprivation for the NBA Finals. I will make that <laughs> trade every single time. <laughs> kind of like Masai would trade Demar Derozan for Kawhi every single every time. time. Every time. And look, this is this is sort of how I wanted to start this, right? So you know, the stakes have never been higher, right? They have the opportunity to make NBA history, not just Toronto history, NBA history by being the first and only non-American team to win the Larry O'Brien trophy. And moreover, right, I don't want to, you know, fast forward too much into the future here, but they have the opportunity to be the first and only non-American team to win the NBA finals on non-American soil. This is huge, right? I, I think the gravity of the situation is overwhelming, and that's why a lot of Toronto Raptors fans are in disbelief. So having said that, how do you feel regarding the Toronto Raptors' chances heading into the finals against the Golden State Warriors? It's a tough task, 
but I think they can do it. What do you think? They definitely have a puncher's chance. I was definitely on Bodog last night looking at odds to place on the Raptors winning the series. I think what it hinges on, and I don't want to cop out too much, but we talked off air about this, is Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant is healthy enough to be a force on both ends, like he can't pull LeBron James and just dog it defensively. He has to be active on both ends. And he's on the court being an integral part of Golden State's team and not kind of changing their dynamics. But I watched a clip where I swear Kevin Durant was limping to the team playing. If Kevin Durant is not good to go in the series and Toronto can win both home games, Adam, this is set up perfectly going back to Golden State. It's interesting that, you know, this this whole series in terms of the, the optics sort of, I don't want to say relies on Kevin Durant, but he's a huge factor in all of this, right? And the timing couldn't have been worse for him. And people are saying, oh, it's just a calf strain. Calf strains don't, you know, usually keep players out for too long. I don't know, man. I, w- I was on um, Pick and Pod last night, and I was asking them, I, I'll ask you the same question. How many non-contact calf injuries do you know of? Because I don't know of any. I, so a funny story that I think you'll appreciate it must have been almost 10 years ago when the D-League was tied to... So the D-League at the time for the Raptors was tied to, the, I think, the Iowa, Iowa Stampede. They mm-hmm. had an open G-League, or sorry, D-League tryout, and I tried out for it. And it ended halfway through with an injury. I went out for a layup. I swore someone kicked me in my calf. I'm like, what the heck is somebody doing kicking me in my calf? And my buddy who was filming it was like, no one was even close to you, man. You just wiped out. Like, what happened? And when you watch what Kevin Durant did in the moment, he looks back and he's like, what the heck? Because he thought someone kicked him too. And supposedly that's the telltale sign for an Achilles injury. Now, I really, really hope for Kevin Durant's sake, that that I am putting my medical hat on wrong and that I'm totally off base. But I think what you're hinting at and, and what I feel is that it isn't a calf injury. I, I think it's something a lot more serious. And I think Golden State is trying to keep it under wraps. But what I saw when he got injured and what I saw from him walking the plane I think it's more than a calf injury. And even if it is a legit calf injury, I I'm, I think it's a grade two, which means it's, what, four to six weeks. And yeah. I don't think we're going to see him in these NBA finals. I agree. It's I immediately thought and it was an Achilles tear. And a lot of people, I, I remember that night, Woj, and I think Shams might have tweeted out that the Warriors were fearful that it was a, an Achilles injury. And, you know, I don't know the severity of this. No one really does except for the Warriors. They're keeping this extremely tight-lipped. Um, but the thing is, is that these types of injuries, a calf injury, okay, if it's a legitimate calf injury, there there's a chance that he can maybe muscle through it. He probably won't be nearly as effective as the Warriors would like him ideally to be. But he's still better than the backup options. Exactly that, but if it is an Achilles injury, right, that messes you can't with your. Got through that, you can't play through can't, that. 
There's no lateral movement. The shooting is all off. Like it, the landing it's is off. It's excruciating pain, Adam. Awful. Like excruciating. Awful. And so that is why I'm thinking, you know, maybe we don't see Kevin Durant this entire series. But that is what leads me to this question. The Raptors are always victim of some narrative, some negative narrative around the American media. Do you see this already, Ryan, where there's a possibility that the Raptors walk away with this? Not handily, you know, challengingly, though. And the built-in excuse is asterisk, yeah, but Kevin Durant didn't play, so it's not legit. I disagree with that. I think one of the questions that Kyle Lowry got today was, is his vindication? And that whole narrative is just getting to the NBA Finals, Toronto should be happy with. But I loved, I was camped out outside the locker room. I missed the on-court stuff on Saturday because I wanted to see and hear the reactions of the players coming up the court. Every single player, every single coach, the training staff, they're like, yeah, it's great. Now four more. And, and maybe not exactly that worrying by each player, but everyone associated with the team, front office, coaching staff, training staff, players, they want for more. And I don't think that getting there is enough. This Raptors team wants to make history. And even if Kevin Durant's out, you still beat a Golden State team that is heavily favored in Vegas. They're going to have three, in my opinion, Hall of Famers that are at the peaks of their power in Dre, Clay, and Steph. Beating this Golden State team, even without Kevin Durant, is a heck of an accomplishment. The scary thing for the rest of the NBA, Adam, is this now gives the narrative that Kevin Durant is needed on the Warriors, and you see him re-up for two more seasons. So I'm kind of like, do do we want to poke that bear, or do we kind (laughs) of want to break up this super team? You want to break it up. I mean, like I, I get the, the the question, but I know it's merely like theoretical here. But I, I do think that right now the team is so geared to winning this championship because look, you saw the reaction after winning an Eastern Conference Finals, right? I, I don't know that other cities, and this is not an insult or any sort of minimizing the reaction that Toronto fans had. I was, you know, in my basement reacting the same way mostly. Um, but I don't know that a city like Boston or New York, I think maybe New York now because they're such a pathetic organization, but maybe like Boston would be like, yeah, whatever. We, we do this all the time, kid, whatever, you know. But I do think there's a sense of passion that when you see that reaction, I feel like that's an intangible aspect that fuels the players. And they're seeing the impact that they have on the city in such a positive way. And it's not just the, the reaction, the... the the joy and, you know, the the whole country standing behind this team. It's just the impact, right? The impact of influencing that many people to stand behind you. And I feel that these players right now are probably thinking we have a chance, as I mentioned in the top, we have a chance to make history. We Toronto deserves this. Toronto deserves this more than any city in the NBA today. I really believe that. And if they're able to capture this, that city's going to go crazy. And I think that the players know that sort of Toronto is owed this in a way. Like it, it, 
they've waited so long for this type of vindication that they are a top-tier city and that they are a top-tier organization. And I feel that if these players can just get it all together, that in and of itself might be just this little tiny boost to push them into this NBA Finals to victory. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. See, I make the argument, Adam, that emotional connection between the team and the city and even the country is already there. I was there, like I said, on Saturday, and Scotiabank Arena was unbelievable. And stuff like the players deciding they want to take the Eastern Conference Champions Trophy out to Jurassic Park, that, that, like, that's huge. You hear Norm Powell um, saying he can't go on vacation anymore because fans want to come up and talk to him. You have Jeremy Lin and other players filming in their cars trying to get out an hour after the trophy ceremony and just it being a madhouse. And then fans across the NBA, I'm sure, have seen now the social media posts. Like Tim and Sid here in Canada on Sportsnet were just phenomenal with some of their coverage. Basketball in Canada is at its peak right now. You have Coach Rana, who got hired by Sacramento Kings as an assistant this week, which is just a perfect timing. The new Naismith Cup in, I think it's November 16th, is happening here in Toronto. And I'm a teacher, and I, I look at, at the schoolyard, and all the basketball nets were in use today. <laughs> you have fans, you have, sorry, you have students want to talk to me, they know I go to games, and then like you have kids now overwhelmingly in the GTA wearing Toronto Raptors toques, hats, sweatshirts. I don't see any hockey gear. And for Canada, that is a dream come true to a kid who grew up as a lone wolf who loved basketball. We were this small, small pack, and now basketball is the sport in Ontario and I think it's even across Canada which is really really fun for me to see that's interesting because you know there's always talk about the Toronto Blue Jays being like this team that has the entire country's support right they do the in the off seasons they do these like winter tours and they'll go to different parts of Canada they'll go to Calgary they'll go to Vancouver and um, various other places so it, it just sort of stretches out the game even more, or rather that team even more to other territories in Canada. Now, I, I, you may not know specifically, but do you you did say that it, it is sort of spreading throughout Canada. Do you get the sense that it's that big? In other words, do you think that right now, because of this victory, because of this Eastern Conference Championship, this you know hump that the Raptors jumped over, do you think now it sort of legitimized the sport as they're no longer this redheaded stepchild of the three major sports in Toronto? They are now one of the upper echelon, if not the upper echelon sports team in Toronto. Yes, and let me give you a little context. For the past five plus seasons, Instead of having training camp here in the GTA, they've gone to Halifax, they've gone um, to Vancouver. Um, and Vancouver, they didn't shun basketball after the Grizzlies left, but there were, there were some hurt feelings. Understandably, they had an expansion team in the NBA for less than 10 years where I went to Memphis. And a lot of basketball fans were really hurt by that. 
And a couple of times Toronto has gone to Vancouver, excuse me. And now a big news is where the Canucks play, I believe, or at University of Victoria, they're talking about having on their big screens viewing parties during the NBA finals. So you're having viewing parties literally from coast to coast. So yes, Canada is thriving. And the amazing thing for me is, again, a kid grew up in Canada. It was always hockey, hockey, hockey. And we have the Stanley Cup finals right now. And it's basketball, basketball, basketball. I never thought this would happen, but I'm loving it. It's interesting because, you know, I I had this sort of blurb uh, going around to other Raptors fans and, you know, those that live in Toronto. And I said, I I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I always thought, well, the Blue Jays are set up pretty well to win uh, another championship in the near future. This is like back in 2015, 16, when they were white hot. Uh, they were close with Jose and Edwin and all those oh, guys. Oh, yeah, and Josh, all of them, dude. And they, they had a fighter's chance, right? And, you know, with the Leafs, they were rebuilding, you know, the Austin Matthews, they, they had the, everything. It, there was this rebuild aspect to them, and there was this new life, this new hope, and it sort of has been accelerated uh, a little quicker than I think people anticipated. And the Raptors were always this team in limbo, right? We always had this notion that, yeah, they'll get far, but, you know, if LeBron is still there, it's sort of inevitable that we, we fall to the king. And now that's gone, right? And it's, it's really ironic and sort of poetic that it's the Raptors that are taking this country by storm. It's the Raptors that are grabbing the attention in Toronto and saying, hey, we exist. We aren't this, like, this, this sport. We don't play the sport that isn't popular or isn't fun. We can grab your attention. We can grab your interest. And much more than that, we can make you proud. And I think that is what is so awesome about this team is that, you know, unlike the Leafs and the Jays, and no disrespect to them, I don't know that any other sports team really captures the character of the city like the Raptors do. I think you are completely right. I think that the way that... Toronto's multicultural. I think all the different people who have landed here as first-generation um, Canadians, I think that grit, I think that tenacity, I think that passion and that energy is what you see on the court from this team. I think as great as Kawhi is, he's playing alongside alongside some elite defensive players. Uh, Serge Ibaka led the league in blocks twice, I believe. Uh, Marcus Saul has been a former All-NBA uh, and Defensive Player of the Year. You have Kawhi, of course. Um, Lowry leads the league in charges most, league, most years. Danny Green has a history. I think he has an All-NBA uh, defense on his resume. That, that just, that toughness, that grittiness, yeah, you're right, it does match the city. And he got to credit Masai Ujiri for really keeping his finger on the pulse throughout all this and really, you know, getting in tune with not just the character of the city and, you know, all the elements that you uh, stated, but also just what it takes to build a winning franchise. And I kind of want to transition to 
the coaching aspect of that, right? There was a lot of talk that during the offseason, you know, we all knew, or else we all assumed, rather, that Dwayne Casey was going to be on the outs, right? And Bud was available. And I think they even had had an interview session. And I think he was the favorite to take over this team. And how ironic is it that Nick Nurse, who ultimately took the job for the Raptors, was the coach that not only defeated the Milwaukee Bucks, that Bud coach, but I would argue out-coach Bud entirely in that series. Um, I've been very critical of Nick Nurse throughout the regular season. I have mentioned countless times on the show that he is very slow to call timeouts during the regular season. Um, he lets the opposition go on these runs a little too deep for my comfort. Um, during the series against the 76ers, he initially had Gasol on Embiid. That sort of was fluid throughout the series until the very end, which made me a little uncomfortable. But you got to admire the adjustments that he made in the Eastern Conference Finals, specifically sticking Kawhi on Giannis. I think that was the biggest X factor throughout that entire series, and it really turned the tide in the Raptors' favor. So having said that, do you trust his ability to continue to make these necessary adjustments in a series, in an NBA Finals series, I still can't believe it, NBA Finals series where the margin of error is paper thin? Do you have confidence in Nick Nurse? I have more confidence in Nurse than I had in Dwayne Casey. I have more confidence now in Nurse than I had in Coach Bud. I think Coach Bud will likely be your coach of the year this year. And Casey was obviously last year. And I think the fascinating thing is, talked about Masai taking some calculated risks. Masai and Nick Nurse, I don't know if quiet and humble are the right adjectives. They're not thumping their chests and telling them to listen how great they are, but they have a passion to win. And they want to win a championship. And And I look at in the Orlando series, I look at the Philadelphia series and the Milwaukee, what Nick nurse has done from an X's and O standpoint, he's won, he's battered. He's bested, sorry, each coach in each series. And he's taking risks. He's letting, he's let Fred Van Vliet play through stuff and he's gotten hot he let Norm Powell get back on rotation and get more minutes as he earned them. He's bumped up Serge Ibaka's minutes. There was one game against Milwaukee, I think he had 14 minutes, and then he's got more minutes as the series went on. So I love that Nurse will go with his instinct, but he'll take some chances. And I also loved, I don't know who the media member was that asked his question after game two. It oh man, you're coming back to Toronto down 0-2. It's it's a tough thing, and then he threw the stat out like like what percentage of teams have been down 0-2 to win a series. But it was great because Nurse literally laughed at the question. He goes, "We don't care. We're gonna come back and win win it, and we're not gonna quit." And I think it was either on the team flight or the next day at practice. Abaka talked about. That Spurs series when Oklahoma City was down uh, two games to nothing and they came back and they won the next four, which is what Toronto did. And just that kind of fight um, after game six here in Toronto, I said, I, there's X's and O's and there's matchups and there's adjustments, but 
in a closeout game, when you have a chance at home to win, how much does it come down to heart? Think of trying to have some closure. In a closeout game, we the NBA Finals. We have a bunch of stats, a bunch of matchups, but how much does this game just bring them to heart and want to desire? 85% of them. I mean, that's that's kind of the line I use. We end up showing all these clips and all these coverages and all these matchups and all these things and blah, 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 blah. And almost at the end of it, every time I say that's about 15% of the game, the rest of it is, are we going to, you know, are, are we going to sprint back and are we going to communicate great? Are we going to get physical? Are we going to, are we going to get into bodies? Are we going to block out with some But toughness? Nurse said 85% of it comes down to heart. And... Toronto with Nurse making the right adjustments and pushing and probably at the right time and encouraging. Toronto has a ton of heart they're playing with it right now. And they're kind of playing with house money because no one's betting on them. But man, they're not going down without a fight in these finals. It's interesting that you say that, you know, th- it's sort of a carefree attitude. And I don't want to, you know, make the impression here that Toronto isn't taking this seriously. I'm sure they are. You can't have a guy like Kawhi Leonard on your team and not take this any game seriously. But there is a sense that they have nothing to lose. And I think that's what you were alluding to when you said they're playing with house money. It's Mike Tyson back in the day going to a fight. Yeah. Like you're loose, you're confident, and you're ready to knock him right yeah. out. Yeah, and you know, like, look, it's gotten to the point with this team that all bets are off. I am so confident in this team because this is the one time, and I hate, you know, constantly bringing up the past, but this is the one time where this team hasn't burned me, right? There have been plenty of teams. I remember last year, right, finished first in the Eastern Conference, 59 wins. I'm riding high. I'm like, all right, this is the year we're going to beat LeBron. This It's finally happening, right? And then swept. And I'm thinking to myself, I can never trust this team. I just can't. I, I can't, you know, put my emotion to this team just to get, you know, let down. But now, seeing the the fight and the grit, as you mentioned, in the heart of this team, it's sort of like I don't know that they can do any wrong. Even if, for worst case scenario, worst case scenario, they fall into an O2 hole again and cough up the first two in Toronto. I'm still looking at Game Three and thinking. We can still do this because this team has proven that they can, right? And when you have a guy named Kawhi Leonard on your team, all bets are off. You have no choice but to be confident in his abilities. And that, therefore, you have no choice but to be confident in those around him because that sort of attitude, that sort of never-say-die attitude is infectious from him throughout the entire locker room. So there is this element that I feel like Nick Nurse is perfect for this team right now. The way he handles them, the way he... I heard that he doesn't even yell at them. He doesn't, you know old school coach rip into them it's sort of this laid-back atmosphere that i feel like he's very much in tune with his players and when you have that sort of relaxed atmosphere you're walking into this finals i think thinking we have nothing to lose the warriors have way more to lose than we do what happens if toronto loses what the american media is going to call them choke artists again that's nothing new but if the raptors beat the warriors that is completely unheard of in amongst you know the talking heads out there. So I feel like the Raptors are riding super confident heading into the series. I, I agree with you completely. The team is confident and the fans are confident. Uh, shout out to my buddy Mike. Uh, he's a lifelong Raptors fan. And even the past few years when I've been like, buddy, they're going to break your heart. He's still, he's had faith. 
And this season, when I talk with him about the team, I can honestly say, you know what? I feel good about this. When when he was worried about being down 0-2, I was going to give him a pep talk. Hey, you know, it's different this year. Trust me. They're, 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 it's going to be different. It, it reminds me of the past four years that high school or college girlfriend where you know it's not going to work out. But you, you, you're trying so hard, and she breaks up with you on a weekend, and then you get back together, and then and then she cheats on you. But you're like, oh, I'm gonna make it work, and <laughs> it, it's just like you look at like what what am I doing? Like you know that Demar and Lowry are not gonna take you to the promised land. the The problem is not LeBron. The problem is that team and how it's constructed. But you look at this team, and you just feel this. I don't know, peace is the right word, but you feel that confidence, like. Wow, Kawhi is going to be the alpha dog. You have Kyle Lowry. You have this great defense. You have Nurse who will shake things up when needed. I feel confident that Fred Van Vliet or Abaco or Norm Powell on any given day will have a monster game off the bench. I do think and I feel that Patrick McCaw will have one or two monster games off the bench in these finals. The whole going against his, his team he won championships with. The whole knowing those trade secrets. I just... Maybe I'm dumb, but I actually have confidence this year. And it's just, it's nice because it's not blind confidence, Adam. They've shown me through these playoffs that they're resilient, that they're gritty, that they're defensive focus. Those things are going to help them win games in the finals. And they might even win enough games to shock the world. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And, you know, you mentioned how Nick Nurse has the tendency to stick with his guys no matter what. You touched on Fred Van Bleet being this no-show for the first two series until the Bucks. I think it was game three uh, against the Bucks, Or maybe it was game four. I'm not sure. But he came alive. You know, and I know the birth of his son has a lot to do with that. You know, shout out to Fred Van Vliet Jr., the most important player. I mean, sorry, the most important person on this entire team by by far right now. Like, keep that kid healthy. But, um, you know, the aspect of sticking with your guys, right? Norman Powell, as you mentioned, there's that sort of redemption factor that you mentioned with uh, McCaw that I think Norman Powell has with the Bucks. You know, they traded him away. They traded away his draft rights for Vasquez. You know, that in and of itself, I'd be a little bit, okay, you wanted to get rid of me? I'm going to show you again like he had in a previous series, like in uh, two years ago in the playoffs. I think if Nick Nurse does the same thing with a guy like Danny Green, who has proven that he can show up on the biggest stage of it all and, you know, nail his threes when they matter in the finals, he's shown it. I think right now you have to ride with your guys. Yeah, and I do agree with you. I do think Patrick McCaw is a guy, again, a former warrior, might have some pretty big sequences. You know, he might be a nice addition to this team who doesn't really have the depth that the Warriors do. Yeah, you could say the Warriors bench isn't that great, but it's still depth. It's still bodies putting on the floor that are fresh. So I do agree with you. I think Nick Nurse, this is his time to shine. Right? This is his opportunity to prove that. You know, he may be a rookie coach, and he may not have proven it in the NBA before, but what better time than right now? Well, there was an article, I want to say ESPN today, I'm pretty sure it was ESPN, or maybe it was The Ringer, uh, one of those two, and they were talking about when you fire a coach to switch things up, rarely do you win a, 
uh, a championship. And look at like Phil Jackson with the Bulls, um, <laughs> the infamous Ty Lue with the Cavs. There's there's been a handful of times where you fire a coach after some level of success, and then that season or the following season is in their first full year, they win you a championship. But I I do think it's you know a li- the volume is turned up when it comes to Toronto, especially having fired the coach of the year the previous year's coach of the year. I love that move when it happened. Oh, man. It it had to have happened. That's the thing. Like, we were looking at it, and once that series was over against Cleveland, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I'm thinking to myself, something has to be done. And I'm not thinking trade DeMar DeRozan. That's sort of the furthest thing from my mind at that point. But the number one thing that had to happen is you have to get rid of Casey at that point. I, I, I was shocked that Detroit picked him up, to be honest. Look, Dwayne Casey is a great man. I think he's done wonders for this franchise. And I don't know if it was Kyle Lowry or Masai Jerry said, hey, Dwayne Casey and DeMar DeRozan's fingerprints are all... Uh, to give uh, Dwayne Casey credit, uh, he, he prepared us for this too. Um, this is it's not something that started in one year. I don't know that a team can just start in one year so. Um, I think uh, I want to say that Dwayne Casey and DeMar DeRozan are part of this. Uh, they are part of our journey uh, and uh, how far this has And this I has agree, come. like so, their fingerprints are all over it. But my friend Robin says, why read a book when you know the ending? Right. And we, we, we knew the ending with DeMar and we knew the ending with, with Casey. You're going to have a wonderful regular season. And you're just not going to get it done in the playoffs. And Messiah Jury has often said, I want to win championships. And, and a lot of times in people's careers, they know the buzzwords. They, they know what needs to be said to keep their jobs. And every president, every general manager is going to tell the media, hey, I want to win championships. When you fire the coach of the year that won a franchise record 59 games because you want to upgrade with a coach bud and or a nurse because you can get coach bud, that shows you are willing to take a risk. If for whatever reason this year had backfired, all of a sudden Masai goes from being like Brian Colangelo when he could walk on water here in Toronto to he's on the hot seat. Yeah. And I love that. Masai put all those poker chips into the middle. He realized, you know what? I want to win a championship. Is Dwayne Casey the coach for that? Nah, he's got to go. Can I go there with DeMar or do I need one of the best all-around players in the NBA? Well, I need one of the best all-around players, so let's get it done. And just that assertiveness and that cutthroat, I don't know if I should use the word savage, but just that, (laughs) that, that, that killer instinct from a president I, I love it, and again, hopefully Casey has some level of success in Detroit, not more than Toronto, obviously, uh, but uh, I, I love what Masai did last summer. It had some huge onions, and when it was happening, a lot of fans here in Toronto were like, how could you trade DeMar? He loves this city, and I was saying, because you upgraded your team. Yeah. How could you fire Casey? He, he's a great man and he he loves the city because he was not working. And, and just that shrewd, wise, 
cutthroat moves by Masai, man, man, that had me hyped for this season, and it has me hyped for the NBA Finals. <laughs> Speaking of DeMar, and you know, before we move on to the next topic, this is an interesting question. It's been floated around on Twitter. I kind of want to get your take. We've seen JV. We've seen Bismack. Are we going to see DeMar at any of these games? I don't think so. I no. think... Still hurts. I, I, I think it hurts. And I felt bad for him on Saturday because I wish there had been a way he could have been part of that. Yeah. And there was a report, I thought on ESPN, maybe I'm wrong, that the Spurs are open to trading him. It oh. dropped on Saturday. <laughs> no. I, I, I saw it on my Twitter feed, and, and it was I only follow certain people on Twitter, so it's a reputable uh, source. And I'm like, dude, like I, I like, he's in the middle of a Drake song at home. He's all up in his feelings, feeling I'm gonna get traded again, going Ugh. to a contract year. Like, what the heck is happening? And then you watch Toronto and all of Canada go crazy. And I don't know, it's a, it's a kick in the nuts. I, 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 I felt bad for Demar on Saturday and Sunday, and even still today on Wednesday. I feel I felt bad for Demar because he's a good guy. He gave his all to this city and this team, but you gotta pull that trigger on Kawhi, and it just stinks for Demar. Oh man, if the Spurs trade him, uh, that's. <sighs> I would only hope it's the Lakers, so he go to his hometown team that he's loved. He could be close to home. Um, maybe Do they you get really want to put him in that well. toxicity, though? I'm just trying to be positive, Adam. I'm trying to put a <laughs> silver lining on this because, like I say, I, I felt bad for DeMar since Saturday. Send him to the Clippers. Still in L.A., the 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 organization is run a little bit better than the Lakers right now, especially the Lakers right his, now. His bad defense and no three-point shooting then. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Doc Rivers can do something good with him. But then again, I said the same thing about Pop, so... <sighs> Poor DeMar. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about defensive matchups for this final series. Um, I, I wanted to get your take on this. A lot of people are debating who Kawhi should guard. Um, I think the knee-jerk reaction is Steph Curry, only because right now without KD, he is clearly the Warriors' best player and probably the most lethal shooter on the team. Um, I get the impulse. I get that you want Kawhi to guard the best player, much like he did to Giannis, to sort of eliminate that factor. I'd argue that even if Kawhi is guarding Steph, there's really no eliminating Steph. He's such a good shooter that I don't know that, you know, as good as Kawhi is, you can completely make him a non-factor. Plus, Steph pretty much rele relegates himself to the outside. There's really no inside game with Steph unless there's a wide-open lane. Whereas Clay Thompson is an interesting player because I think he's almost equally as deadly from beyond the arc, but he's also a little bit more of a physical player. And I think that matches up quite well with Kawhi. And I think Kawhi can maybe use his defensive abilities more to their potential against a guy like Klay Thompson. So I, I wanted to get your take. What do you think is the ideal matchup for Kawhi? And expanding for that, how do you see the rest of the starting lineup matching up against the Warriors? Adam. I'm going to blow your mind and your listeners' minds. Let's Are you ready? Let's do it. So Draymond Green initiates a lot of Golden State's offense. Yes. Full court, half court. He's he's one of the main cogs. They also do a lot of pick and roll and pick and pops with Steph Curry. So 
you stick Kawhi on Draymond Green. You switch when there's a screen so that Kawhi would then be on Steph Curry. You have Kyle Lowry as a primary primary defender on Steph Curry. So you have Lowry on Curry. When Draymond tries to initiate the offense and they try and do a pick and roll, pick and pop, then you have Kawhi on Curry. How's that sound to you? I like it because you're right. The Warriors do predicate themselves on the pick and roll a lot. Like they do rely on that a lot. Um, I just feared that you know if they try to go away from that, or if Draymond's not the guy that's going to be the primary pick setter, Kyle Lowry isn't really good with guarding the the opposition's point guard. He's not as quick as I would like him to be to match up against that. Um, I don't. I and ideally that would work if they utilize the pick and roll like we suspect them to. But if they don't, I feel like Kyle Lowry's a sitting duck. Then you stick Lowry on Clay, which is more Lowry's thing for a spot up shooter. Again, Nurse can adjust, but I think you start off with this, see if you can just really flummox the Warriors, and if they go to something else, then you adjust accordingly. I also really like uh, Danny Green on Clay. I feel that's a really good matchup for Toronto. And I just look at it like you could even put a Baca um, on Draymond yeah. Green. The one thing I dislike, and it's a minor nitpick, is I feel Marcus Saul is going to be limited in the series just because he's not going to be able to play that high tempo up and down the court game that Golden State's going to try and force. And just matchup wise, I, I can't see Marcus Saul and Draymond Green. Maybe you start Marcus Saul against, is it Bogut? Is it, um, I feel, I feel it's a uh, Kavon Looney. Maybe, maybe that that's when Mark gets his minutes, but I want to see a play the majority of his minutes guarding Draymond if the Kawhi idea I had isn't working. I can see if they... All right, so I'm not even convinced that Gasol is going to start this series. I love that idea, by the way. But I co-sign de- that for sure. Yeah, it depends on if Cousins is playing. Because if Boogie is playing, then let Gasol play. Let him play. Because I, I feel 100%. like Gasol could, could beat him, and I don't know that... Cousins in appropriate game shape to really, uh, you know, match the versatility that Gasol has to stretch the floor. In fact, I welcome that. I really do. I think Gasol would feast. But if it's not, only if Cousins doesn't start, and I don't suspect that he will because they are saying that he's not in game shape yet. I think he got a roll with Ibaka to start the series. I completely agree with you. A hundred percent. I like what he would bring. It's back to what, Toronto had in the two regular season games where they beat Golden State. And I know that's regular season, I know it's different, but just stylistically, how Toronto played in those games is how they need to play. And Marcus Saul has been a massive, huge addition at the deadline. And I think there's no way that Toronto beats Philadelphia in the second round without Gasol. But just because he was huge against Orlando and huge against Philly and important against Milwaukee doesn't mean he needed to force that in the NBA Finals. And I think that Nurse will pull the trigger on starting a Baca, and I hope you're right on that one. I mean, this is 
sort of what he was flirting with towards the end of the regular season, right? This is we I I. I Towards the end, he was pretty much experimenting, quote-unquote, with whether or not he's going to start Serge or Gasol. He sort of flip-flopped back and forth. And I think the reason why he went with Gasol, at least to start the playoffs, is because the matchups dictated that. Right? You had these really long, physical guys that couldn't stretch the floor uh, and, and couldn't really be a threat to Gasol's lack of speed and, and lack of quickness. Whereas with the Warriors, that's a huge I don't want to say problem, but it is a huge element of their game that they're going to utilize. That's why they've been so successful. So I think in that aspect, Ibaka is ready for this, right? He's primed for this because he was racking up a good chunk of minutes in that playoff series against Milwaukee. I think I want to say it was somewhere between like 25 to 30 minutes, which isn't, you know, bad. It's definitely suitable to start a game. He doesn't have to play, you know, 35, 40 minutes in order to be the starting center. He can just be that guy to anchor the ship in the beginning. But I think defensively, it makes a lot of sense. And offensively, it does too, right? That pick and roll with Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka, where Serge does that little jump shot at the elbow. I love it. And it's almost flawless when it comes to Ibaka draining those. So I think in that aspect, shooting is going to become going to come at a premium for this Raptors team, and you want to get as much of it as possible, as much reliable shooting as possible. And I think in that aspect, Ibaka gets the leg up here. Remember back at the near the All Star break when the reserves were announced, there was serious consideration and serious thought that Serge Ibaka and or Pascal might make the all-star team. Yeah. I know a lot has changed. I know it's regular season, uh, all those things. But what about Serge and Pascal for their defensive versatility as well, guarding someone like Draymond? Like I talked about how important Draymond is to Golden State's offense and running it. Pascal especially, if Draymond's playing point forward, isn't Pascal the perfect person to put on him? Well, maybe Kawhi's the perfect, but the the great alternative, if you could have a little bit of Pascal and then a little bit of Serge, maybe I'm valuing Draymond too much right now, but I just feel Toronto has some amazing options in Kawhi, Pascal, and Draymond that can really stifle Golden State's offense when they use Draymond as that point forward. The only thing that hesitates me when it comes to Pascal Siakam, and it's not that I disagree with anything that you're saying, it's he gets called on these chippy fouls far too often. Drives me crazy. Yeah, and I think Draymond Green has the ability to bait that, right, and to really make foul trouble for Siakam a thing. And that's not what you need in this series. Um, Especially because, all right, so this was brought up to me by on a previous show by my buddy Jordan, in which he says, you know, if Draymond's going to be the primary defender against Kawhi, which I think that's what's going to happen, um, Draymond loves to talk, and he feeds off of the response from the person he's guarding. Kawhi's going to give him none of that. He's not going to give him an inch. He's always even-keeled. He's stoic. He's enigmatic. He's just not going to give him the satisfaction. If he's guarding Kawhi and Kawhi's not giving him an inch in terms of emotion, when Danny, I mean uh, Draymond Green has the ball and Siakam's guarding him, I think he's going to be that much more physical because he's going to be that much more frustrated with the situation. And I think in that aspect, he might bait Siakam into following him and therefore getting into early foul trouble. That is the only thing that worries me about the Siakam-Green matchup. 
your points are valid. I, I get that the stoic nature of Kawhi would be ideal, and Pascal could kind of get frustrated in the tiki-tack fouls. I, I get all that stuff. But I'm going to stay positive, Adam. I do feel that trio has me excited about what they can do in different situations against Draymond to really frustrate him. And as we see, if Draymond gets frustrated, not that we want to kick someone in the nuts, but uh, if he gets tossed for a game or something, or if his emotions get him out of a game, I'm okay with that. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right. Yeah, it, see, this is why it gets in, it's really tricky when it comes to how the Raptors are going to set up things with the Warriors. And I think that right now, you know, assuming KD's not going to play game two, he's already been out for game one. But even if KD comes back maybe game two or three, even if he's this decoy that's not at 100%, at that point, you still got to put Kawhi on him, no? Just be 100%. Just yeah. to eliminate. Yeah. I see. That's. But then that frees things up with Clay and Curry. That and is that's my why fear, earlier I that... said KD is that turning point in the series. Like Toronto could be up two games and nothing about to Golden State, but if Kevin Durant's playing Golden State, then holy crap, we got a series again. I, I just feel if Kevin Durant does not play, I feel confident in Toronto winning the series in six or seven games, which, which is crazy to say, but Kevin Durant, unlocks a whole different cheat code for the Warriors. So having said that, let's wrap it up here, and I want to talk about predictions. All right, so I want you to give me your game one prediction, but after that, I just want to get your take, man. How many games do you have this going, and who's coming out on top? First, give me your game one. All right, so I hope I'm not being a biased homer. I feel Toronto, with the fans and everything, it's just the players are so hyped and locked in. I think Nurse is going to have a great game plan. There's no Kevin Durant. I think Toronto has game one. And maybe I'm just too optimistic. I also feel that with Kevin Durant, let, let's assume that Kevin Durant does not play. Is that a fair assumption? In game one, he's already been ruled out. No, in, in this series. Okay, yeah. Let's assume it's even if it's a, a calf strain, it's the four to six weeks and it's the six weeks and he's he's gone. Right. I, I I don't see Toronto being able to close this out in game six at Oracle. That arena is the only thing close to Toronto's like it, it it's crazy. If you can get to a game seven here in Toronto, I got the Raptors. What about you? When I walked into this. Right, I had that historical hesitation and trepidation of saying, "I don't want to get my hopes up too high. I don't want to just, you know, dip my, you know, whole body into the water here. I just want to go toes first. Let me just see the reaction first. Let me just know." Now it's kind of like I'm all in, man. Let my emotions take over. Let just let me roll with it. Let me just have this for now. I threw caution to the wind. I said Raptors in seven, man. I'm just let's go. Let's win a championship. Let's just do it. So I love that. I I <laughs> love that last Saturday now there were no arrests here in Toronto. The city went completely crazy. We've all seen the social media feeds of fans just celebrating and just euphoria here in Toronto. Sit back for a minute, listeners. Sit back from one, Adam. 
I'm stealing your, your job here for you guys host here. Go for it, man. But yeah. What would this mean to sports fans across Canada? I talked earlier about how kids are playing basketball. They're playing a little bit of soccer, but it's soccer or basketball at my school. And, and I love that. You have the national team hiring Nick Nurse. You have Coach Rana being hired by the Kings. You have all these great things happening. And you have now this passion, this excitement. If they were to win in a game seven, like jokingly, would, would the roof come off Scotiabank? Um, but what would this mean to this new young generation, I'm going to say, um, from five to 15-year-old kids here here across Canada? I, I think winning the NBA Finals is great for the players, great for the franchise, great for fans. But on, on a maybe bigger picture, I think it changes the landscape across Canada for sports fans. I think that when it comes to the optics right now of just, I don't want to say the American media not taking Toronto seriously because I think in a way they do. I know like a lot of people like to poke fun or like to highlight how, you know, the, the Raptors always get snubbed, you know, there's too much Lakers coverage right now. I think right now the Raptors are firmly in the crosshairs of ESPN and the big markets. I really do. Um, to the degree or to the volume in which that would uh, satisfy fans, I don't know. That's a different story. But I do think the big market sports uh, news coverage, ESPN, what have you, CBS, they are taking notice. In terms of how it will impact the country, I think this is huge. I'm, I'm, look, it's poetic when you say something like, if the Raptors win it, it, this championship in seven games, in a game seven setting, them winning this championship would be outrageous. I don't know. You saw how the city reacted to the Eastern Conference Finals. How much more, how much amplified could this be if they win the final? You tell me, you're there. Like, how much crazier could it get if they won the championship? I think, at the very least, it'd be a, a, a holiday in the GTA, I think the province will look into making a, a provincial holiday for the day of the parade. I w- now, maybe I'm just being way too crazy here, but I think Trudeau, our prime minister, might look into some kind of national holiday um, to celebrate this. I, I just think it's such a... It's a national thing at this point, and we've never had basketball on a national stage like this. Yeah, we had the All-Star game we hosted. Yeah, we made it to the Eastern Conference before. But winning an, an NBA championship for the first time outside of America and the way that this team has captured the attention of fans, I, I, I think at the very least, John Torrey, names um, uh, a holiday. Can you do that in, in a city? Is a, a holiday so people can go to the parade and stuff. I, I do think across the province there's going to be some kind of recognition, at least at least like a Toronto Raptors Day. Um, and I think the Prime Minister looks into something honoring the team on a national level as well. That'd be insane. And, you know, like piggybacking over... What I had to say about, you know, the American media coverage, I don't know if you saw the the graphic on Twitter, it's been floating around, but of the 50 states in the United States, 
only three of them are cheering for the Warriors. That's huge. A buddy said that to me today. I was like, wow. Now, I, I want to say, oh, because the Raptors are so lovable. But no, nah, it's because the hate for the Warriors is so strong. And, and I will say, kudos to the state of Texas for not hating on Kawhi <laughs> and hating the Warriors more. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we it, it, the Raptors right now, they're riding high. They have all the momentum in the world right now. Like I said, it's fearless. They have nothing to lose. They have only something to gain, and that is immortality. And I, we're in agreement, man. I think they're going to take game one. I think they're taking this series in seven, and I think the Raptors are going to make history. So having said that, dude, we're going to wrap it up here. You know the deal. The floor is yours to promote any and everything you got going on. We're part of an interesting fraternity. We're part of the Overtime Media crew. So with that, man, go for it. Promote any and everything you got going on. floor is yours. So I'm going to do a teaser for our project I've been working on for three months. I am a teacher, and I went to the Dominican Republic for March break. It was my second time going to Sasua, and they have a deep history for baseball. And when I went the first time right across from the hotel was a baseball field and they have kids playing and they have a men's league. And I wanted to document baseball as a sewer meant for them culturally, um, for their community, what it meant for them in poverty and, and for kids for getting out. And I have it's a short documentary. It's only about 15 minutes, but it's going to drop on Athletes Unfiltered on Monday it's me talking to kids and players and, and coaches and showing what some of the men's games where they were betting. I think it was uh, the winning team got 5,000 uh, each player. It, it's just, it's sad hearing how it's their ticket out, but it's also endearing. And I, and I liked hearing what baseball means to even adults still. And I had one dad talking about his son who's two and it's the joy of how he hits the ball and just popping <laughs> and just, just that pride. And, and I had a fun being there talking to these um, kids and players and coaches and people in the community. And, and I think that baseball fans will, will enjoy that as well. So look for that to drop Monday on Athletes Unfiltered. If you have us on YouTube, you can get a sneak peek if you want that on the weekend. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Ryan McNeil. I do a bunch of my journalism stuff there, so I'll be doing some Buffalo Bisons. Nice. If you're Blue Jays fans or interested in that, I know all the young kids are now up with the Jays, but I'll be down there a couple times this summer uh, doing some interviews. And that's going to be on at Ryan McNeil. And I co-host an NBA podcast with Mike Silva on the Overtime Network called NBA Overtime. And we don't do a lot of Raptor-specific stuff, but with free agency happening, and if you want to hear about Kawhi Leonard and all the Lakers mess and just hear that, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. All the links to everything you just mentioned will be in the description of the show. Your Twitter, the podcast link, I'll put the YouTube link on there to give uh, people the preview, and Athletes Unfiltered, I'll put that in there too. Um, everybody should subscribe to NBA Overtime. Everybody should check out Ryan's work. It's top notch. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Go Raptors. We're going to win this in seven. Let's win a championship, man. Raptors in seven, and Canada explodes with basketball passion. Thank you. 
for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Thank <laughs> you.